Okay, we want to pick up um, with the lesson from last week. Last week, um, I talked about God's omnipotent power, His omnipotence, and I'm, I'm, I gave a short, um, a short little lesson, if you will, on God's simplicity. Remember how I talked to that? Um, it's not that it's not just that God has power, but that God is power. Okay. Uh, all of his attributes, God is his attributes. It's important. So rather than saying that God has power, it's more accurate to say that God is power. God is love. God is knowledge. And all of his attributes, God is. So God is one essence. And in that essence is made up of all of his attributes, 100%, not parts. God is not one part love and one part power. and one part. God doesn't have parts. God is a unified one essence. And in that is all of his attributes, too many, we could, too many for us to ever count. So God is power. God is knowledge. Not that he has it, but that he is it. Okay? That's important for us to remember. So God doesn't simply possess his attributes. He is his attributes. And that means that God is never without power. Because God, if God is power, then God will never run out of power. He can't, because that means then that God would run out of himself which he can't do. So he is omnipotent. Omnipotent means all power. Every power you see comes from him. And then we talked about the different, uh, uh, we gave different uh, uh, characteristics of his power. We saw that his power is inexhaustible power. Right? It's impossible for God to lose any power because then he would cease to be God. And we saw that God is God's power, because God is power, his power is infinite power. He alone has the power to uphold and sustain everything. He governs, controls, directs all things because His power is infinite. And because God is power, His power is also irresistible. Nobody could stand in His way. Nobody can thwart His purposes. When He chooses to act according to His purpose, no one can stand in His way. It is irresistible power. We also saw that God's, because God is power, His power is incomprehensible power. In other words, we will never fully understand the extent of His power. When we consider creation, when we consider everything that God has done in His power, and we're overwhelmed by that power, we need to understand that's not the limit of His power. He's even got greater power than that. And so His power is incomprehensible. But we also saw that His power is self-consistent power. In other words, God cannot act contrary to who He is. God cannot lie. God cannot sin. Right? There are certain things God cannot do. God cannot do those, the things He has chosen not to do. There are people that He has chosen not to save. God will not save them. He cannot save them because it goes contrary to uh, who He is. Okay, So He is self-consistent in His power. So we talked about those last week. And then I started on the issue of the expressions of God's power. How does God show His power? And there are many, many ways, but I want us to look at two of them. We started one, and that's in creation. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created all things. And I mentioned the fact that God purposely put this at the beginning of the Bible, because when we read His Word, we begin to see His omnipotent power in creation, and we are to hold on to that through the rest of Scripture so that as you read through all of Scripture, we won't be surprised by the fact that He parted the sea. If He could create all things, parting the sea is nothing, right? And so we see His power all the way through Scripture. 
And it begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He did that how? Out of nothing. He just said, be, and the universe exists. Okay, that's his awesome power. And I, I started on that, and I want to finish on that. And think about the creation of man. I find this absolutely fascinating. He took some dust. Okay, you, you know, you, you see dust. There's a speck of dust. He took a speck of dust, and man came up. That's just, I meditate on that at times, and I think, that's just, like you just, there's a speck of dust, and all of a sudden, there's a living, breathing, rational human being. That quick, with one breath. So it is the impossible and the unthinkable made possible because of his awesome power. And this is one of power's highest definitions, the power to breathe life into what had no life. That's God's omnipotence. Only he can do that. Man cannot do that. There's no power on earth that can breathe life into non-life and give them life. Only God can do that. And I think I mentioned also last week that what God creates, He also sustains. He maintains, He preserves. Remember Hebrews chapter 1? He upholds all things. How? By the word of His power. So everything is held together. Everything is held together by the word of His power. Think about it, okay? In this entire world, every second... Every second, there are countless billions and billions of things all over this whole universe that God controls and moves according to His purpose. It's like this conductor. You know, you have a conductor who has this incredible orchestra doing the symphony, and he's controlling all of these people. This entire creation, the entire universe is like this orchestra, and God controls every moment, every day, countless billions of things that move, things that act. He controls it all. That's omnipotent power. Only God can do that. And so there's much more than a law of nature when we look at creation. Okay, well, that's the law of nature. No, what it is is the very activity of God. That's what we're describing. So when people talk about the laws of nature, the reality is, is that that's the activity of God. We talk about the law of, uh, of gravity. Well, you know what that is? That's the activity of God that holds us here. And so science has their, quote, technical names for these things, but we know the reality that it is God that's holding all of these things together. And at this moment, right now, we are here right now because God sustains the entire universe. That's why we, we are here at this very moment. So we experience God's power every moment of our lives. And can you imagine what would happen if God was to relinquish His sustaining power? You know, people say, we'd all go into chaos. No, we would cease to exist. <laughs> there would be no chaos. There would be nothing. It'd be what, it would be like what it was before Genesis 1.1. We would just cease to exist. There would be nothing left. Consider the sun. It has a, surf a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Sometimes we feel like that's what it is outside, isn't it? Right. If it were closer to the earth, then we'd burn. 
If it were further from the earth, we'd freeze. The earth is tilted on an exact angle of 23 degrees. I'm not a scientist. I read this. I'm assuming all of this is correct. But it's an exact axis of 23 degrees, which is very critical. Because if we have the four seasons, but if we're tilted one way or the other, we wouldn't have the seasons. We would freeze up. We would cease to exist on this planet. So it has to stay on that angle, on its perfect axis all the time. What keeps it there? You ask science, and they say, it's gravity. What is gravity? It's God at work holding it together. That's why we've never frozen over. That's why we're not floating out there, hitting the moon or whatever. God holds it all together. If our atmosphere suddenly thinned out, think about what would happen. We would be pummeled with the meteors. But meteors don't affect us. Why? Because God has our atmosphere set in such a way that they just bounce off or burn up. God holds that together. That's not a coincidence. And, you know, when they talk about evolution and how it happened to come by chance, it really doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. I remember one time I sat with this biology professor from Penn State. Just, he just happened to be in the same complex. He saw me carrying a Bible. And he said, what is that? I said, it's the Word of God. It's the Bible. And he says, oh, I'm so sorry. And I said, why? He says, I'm an atheist. I don't believe that. I said, okay. So he said, I'd like to talk to you about it. I said, I would love to talk to you about it. <laughs> and we sat for literally two hours, and he swore up and down evolution, evolution. And I asked basic questions, and I thought he, he was an older gentleman, and I thought he was going to have a heart attack because he kept going, because <sighs> he was so frustrated. The things that he said, and I said, you're a Ph.D. from Penn State, and you don't know this? He says, well, we don't have all the answers yet. And I said, I do. I did. I told him. I said, I do. His name is God. He controls it all. And then, of course, he had his arguments, which didn't hold water. I said, do you not see how contradictory this is? All I had, I just graduated Bible college. All I had was a BA. This guy's got a PhD in biology. It just gave me so much comfort to know, God, you have the This is so, It's not that difficult to understand that our God holds it together. That makes more sense. You know, it, it just, it's amazing. That's the laws of science. It comes from God. Think about it. If the ocean floor, I didn't know this, but if the ocean floor merely slipped a few feet deeper, the carbon dioxide and oxygen balance on the Earth's atmosphere would be completely upset. We couldn't live on this Earth. Something that simple. But who controls that? God does. That's His omnipotent power. Please understand... Things do not happen in this universe by accident. Okay, God in His power does not allow accidents. He controls it all. Okay, He sustains it all. It's the principle of cohesion. He holds everything exactly as He says. You know when people say that uh, we've got all of this, we're, we're ruining our weather, our, our, all this stuff that they're putting out there saying, oh, we've got to stop this, we've got to stop that. Let, let, let me give you something. Let me give you a little secret. We're not going to destroy this world. God is going to do that at the end of time. Right. Okay? We're not the ones who are going to destroy this planet. God is going to take away this planet and give us a new heaven and new earth. God does that. We don't. So when they talk about all of this climate change and, oh, we're going to burn up, no, 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 that's not going to happen because God is in control of that. Will the heat be intensified in the tribulation period? Yes, it'll burn people up because God is going to make the heat come. But it's not going to happen now. 
So all of this climate change stuff is very foolish, empty. I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of our planet. We should. I, my wife and I, we practice recycling. We do those things because it's God's creation. But I do it because I want to honor Him, not because I'm worried about climate change. That's ridiculous. God controls the climate, not man. Okay, He's omnipotent. We are not. When we think we can change those things, when we think that it's all because of us, it is blasphemous because what we are declaring is that we are taking the place of God. God is omnipotent. God controls the climate, not us. And if we think we can, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. And I find that blasphemous. God is not some remote watchmaker who made this world, set it in motion, and hasn't bothered with it since. God controls it all. And so the reason why when we look at this universe and we don't see chaos, but we see a cosmos, is because of God's upholding power every moment of every day. And so when these scientists think that they're discovering great truths and doing, they're doing nothing more than discovering the very thing that God is doing. Amen. Right? And that's what this one guy said. Look at all the discoveries you've made. And I said, all you're discovering is the stuff that God set in motion from the beginning. And I told him, I said, you guys think you've made great discoveries. You've done nothing. You haven't scratched the surface. There's so much more to this universe because my God holds it all together. So when you think you've discovered something, all you're doing is discovering another thing that God does. That's our God. No scientist, no mathematician, no astronomer could discover anything apart from the upholding power of God. Because He's the one who sustains the movements. He's the one who sustains the developments of the universe. God does that. That's omnipotent power. He holds it all by the word of His power. And, as we said last week, He never gets tired. Okay, God never needs a break. God doesn't have to lay down and sleep and say, I've got to catch up on my rest. And he never, yes, thank the Lord. And never does he lose power. He can't lose power. It's impossible. That would be to say that God can then lose himself. And he can't do that. So there's no power like the omnipotent power of God. And so to say that God has the power to create and control his universe and everything in it is simply to say that God is God. That's who he is. There exists no one like him, and that's why in the Psalms and in Scripture we see again and again, Who is like you, O God? There is none. There is none. Our God is unique because he is all-powerful. He is powerful. So that's one way where we see God reveal his power is through creation. But the second way that God reveals his power is in the resurrection. The resurrection. When he raises the dead. See, we're all used to the finality of death. When somebody passes, that's the end, and that life is gone. And, and so for us, death is the fina a finality. And we cannot escape death. We're talking about physical death, of course, here. We cannot escape death. We cannot defeat death. And so we live in a world where every living thing is in the process of dying, and we can't do anything to stop it. We can't. But God's power is such that he has defeated death. And we need to understand that his resurrection power is not just another item or theological outline, but it is at the very heart of what gives us new life and future hope. God's grace is resurrection power. I want to read to you what, how one person described the resurrection of Jesus. I thought it was quite fascinating. I never thought of it this way. 
But think about it, okay? Jesus died, was in the tomb, then he instantly rose again. And he says this, He was in the tomb long enough to be certifiably dead, which is true. Rising again after death meant that the synapses in his brain suddenly began to fire. Electric charges fired through his nervous system. The muscles in his heart started to pump. Fresh blood coursed through his veins. His muscles suddenly became soft and flexible. His organs turned on and functioned in symmetry, in symmetry with one another. His eyes became moist and able to focus. He suddenly could breathe, smell, taste, and feel. His balance and orientation returned. His ability to relate and communicate instantly turned on. Thoughts and desires, plans and purposes suddenly rushed in. And this is but a limited summary of everything that had to happen all at once for Jesus to get up, fold his grave clothes, and walk alive out of that tomb. Think about all that had to take place for Jesus to get up. And God did it instantly. And he was dead. In fact, he had no blood left. Remember, they speared him. But in, in an instant, his, body's blood, his body had blood flowing through him. And I think of all of these things, and it's it just mind-boggling what God has done. And understand, there was no effort required for God to raise Jesus from the dead. It's not like God had to exert all of this force. Oh, I got to do He didn't exert excessive power that tired him out. Okay? It wasn't, uh, it, it was not effort. And there was no consideration of whether it was possible or not. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, after I have been raised. What's the implication? I'm going to be raised. He knew he was going to die, but he knew he was going to be raised again. He says, after I have been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. Now, the Jewish people as a whole back then rejected the messianic claims of Jesus Christ. But that didn't stop Jesus from preaching uh, who he was confession of his deity. He never uh, changed his message. Even in the face of the, the danger of death, he never changed his message. He confessed openly his lordship. He confessed openly that he is the Messiah. And the reason why he did that, because he committed his life to the one who knew who was going to raise him. So he can do those things. In fact, in Romans 6, 4, we read, he was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father. So there's never any doubt of the resurrection. Christ was able to face the cross not only because of the Father's power, but also because of his own. He knew that he and the Father are one. He had the power to conquer death. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one has it taken away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So Jesus had the power because he and the Father are one. And through his death, according to Hebrews 2.14, uh, through his death, he rendered powerless the devil who had the power of death. That's power. That's power. So he took on death as an enemy, and he won. Hands down. Not even close. And God's power is such, I, I hope we all believe this, but God's power is such that at the end of the age, he will raise up from the dead every human being that ever lived. Every person since the time of Adam and Eve will be raised up, both the righteous and the unrighteous. In John chapter 5, 
Jesus said, An hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his, that's God's voice, and shall come forth. Those who did the good things, the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And so everyone will be raised up. And everyone will stand before God. Everyone. Every person. Even those today who shake a fist and deny that God exists. And of course in Revelation chapter 20, we have the great white throne judgment. We read about that, where the ungodly will be brought before God. Praise God, if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, we will not be at that judgment. Okay, the great white throne judgment is not for us who believe. It is for those who have rejected Christ. Right? But every person will face that. And so, resurrection power means that the most powerful created thing is very, very, very small. Very, very weak in comparison. Right? So whatever your mind wanders off on as, as, as power, the most powerful thing, understand it is nothing compared to the power of God. And so when you think about the resurrection, think of it as a finger pointing to the incomparable power of God. Whenever you consider at Easter, we talk about the resurrection, let that drive you in your mind to realize that's the power of God. He can take that which has no life and give it life. And the beauty of that is that when we do leave this body and we're in His presence, that's when we'll have true life. We think we have true life now. We have life. But ultimate life comes after we leave this life. And only He has the power for that. We don't. We can't manipulate it. We can't change it. And so only God's power can bring life out of what once was dead. Right? Yeah. Yep. When, when he was coming into, um, in fact, I was going to mention that, but I'll mention it now since you brought it up. When he was coming into Jerusalem, and the religious leader says, Do you hear what these people are saying? Make them stop. And he said, If they stop, these stones will shout out. Shout out. God could raise up followers of Abraham, of uh, children of Abraham, from these stones. And that's exactly what he's talking about, because what did he do to make man? He took a piece of dust, and there he was. He could do the same thing with stones. That's the power, which, of course, they um, refuse to accept. And sometimes, you know, we have to be careful about how we consider what we can do in our power. Because, you see, God desires to be glorified because of his power. Nebuchadnezzar had a tough time learning this, didn't he? Right? Nebuchadnezzar had a tough time. Seven years it took him. Seven years. That's, that's stubborn. Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built? And as a result, for seven years, this man lived like an animal. But finally, the scripture says in Daniel chapter 4, he came to his senses. And what did he say? He said, I bless the Most High and praised and honor Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? God 
made it very clear to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you know, some people question, was that true faith? I believe it was. I don't know. I'm not God, but I think we'll see Nebuchadnezzar. But he experienced God's power firsthand. This is a man who thought he had it all, had all the power, and within moments he was eating grass like a wild animal for seven years. Seven years. I don't know. I would like to think that if something like that happened to me, that it would take a day or two, and I'd say, okay, God, you win. <laughs> but seven years. But he knew. He came to the right conclusion. God is power beyond imagination. So God in his very essence is all power. So I want to talk about how does God's power apply to our lives as believers. I just want to mention four things that we need to take into consideration. Um, in this sin-marred world, powerlessness is a universal experience, right? Everybody experiences powerlessness sometime in their lives. I know I do. And we all long for change. We can't create, we can't control it, but we all long for it. And this is why applying the omnipotence of God is so important. So the first thing we need to take into consideration when we look at God's omnipotent power is that there are times in our lives we are tempted to doubt God's power. There are times in our lives that we are tempted to doubt God's power. We all struggle at times to entrust our needs to the care of Almighty God. We have to understand, and this is, I think, what happens with uh, theology or doctrine. We have to understand very clearly and trust the power of God is not passive. It's not just something that, okay, I know God is omnipotent, and, and you leave it there. We know it right here in the back of our head, and it just sits there that God is omnipotent. But that's where it stays. It becomes dry, and it becomes boring, so that when we say that God is omnipotent, okay, no big deal. When in reality, when we talk about God's omnipotence, we should be overwhelmed. See, we don't sit around waiting for God to intervene. Believing that God is always active, unleashing His omnipotent power for the sake of the good of His children, results in us stepping out in courage. We step out in hope into situations where otherwise we would stand back and say, I'll just leave it for God. That's why it's important that we don't let it just sit in the back of our minds. And too often we don't take steps that we should because we doubt the power of God. As one teacher one time said, I'll never forget, he said, we must be careful to not allow our theology become a meaningless abstra abstraction. And often that's what it is. It's a, it's a meaningless abstraction. Okay, God is all powerful. Woo, okay, let's move on. When in reality, I, I believe that that's sinful. That's taking God for granted. If you fail to trust in the exercise of God's almighty power on your behalf, if you fail to trust that God is at work in your life with His omnipotent power constantly, you will avoid dealing with things that, that you assess are un, you're unable to do. And it's like, oh, I can't do that, so forget it. And we become very passive. If we doubt that God's power is at work in us, we will not accomplish those tasks that we are intended to accomplish. That's why this is so important. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through or what you will go through, remember this, God acts in power on your behalf and He gifts you with that power to get through and to do what He wants you to do. 
Too often we miss out because we don't trust that he will exercise his power. And we don't accomplish those things that we need to accomplish. According to Ephesians 1, 19-23, and you could look that up later, Paul tells us that we have the, the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. Now, we either look at God and say, thank you, because that's true, or we call God a liar. But it's immeasurable power that's available to us, because God exercises that power to us. And he goes on to describe in that same passage that that's the resurrection power. So think about it. The power that did the impossible for raising Jesus from the dead is the power that's available. And it's critical that we don't just sit back and let it become a dry, boring doctrine. So the hope of every believer is there is resurrection power right now. At this very moment, you have available to you, God pours it out to you, resurrection power. That's where we find our confidence. That's where we find our hope. The power that breathed life into Christ's dead body is now ours as God's children. That's what he wants us to understand. And this reality should cause us to give great worship to our God, that he would give us such power. God said to his people in 2 Kings 17, verse 36, he said, The Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power, notice, the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear and to him you shall bow yourselves down. So he delivered them with power. They should respond in worship. God works in our lives every moment of every day with his power. Our response should be worship. Constant worship. And this is desperately needed in the world in which we're living today. All the darkness and the evil that's going on. We need this. And so we ought to meditate more on his power. Because I believe with all my heart that the more we meditate and the more we understand this, the more we allow this to sink deep and grab hold of our hearts, the more we will focus less on our problems. Because we will no longer be afraid of our problems because we know God's omnipotent power can take care of any problem we have. And He will. That's His promise. And so we will not be as tempted to doubt the power of God when we meditate and think on this. So the first thing we see about God's omnipotence is that there are times in our lives we are tempted to doubt the power of God. We need to acknowledge that and pray and ask God, not only that He would forgive us, but that He would change the way we think about His power. We have no reason to doubt the power of God. Look around. The very fact that we are here is an illustration or an identification of the fact that God is all-powerful. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, right? Second, we need to understand God's omnipotence for us, for our everyday life. Every moment of every day, we need to understand our God is pouring out His power in us and through us. We have to remind ourselves constantly. See, please understand something. When I was in seminary majoring in theology, the thing that came to my mind that I always wanted never to forget is that <clears throat> theology, theology is not a way that you think, but a way that you live. Theology is not theology if all it is is in the mind. The purpose of theology is that we live. Omnipotence of God is theology and it should affect the way we live. It was never intended just to be sitting in your mind, if that makes sense. All right. 
And so if you are a genuine Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, think of this. You are a child of the omnipotent God. Have you ever thought about it that way? That your Father is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. This means that by grace, His power is a gift to you as His child. We need to understand that every moment of our lives. This is critical because the Christian life is impossible. We are commanded, be holy for I am holy. How many of you can be holy in and of yourselves? That's an impossible request, but it's still a command. And we don't have a choice to say, well, no, I don't feel like it. So where do we turn to be holy as he is holy? To his very power, which he gives to us so that we may live holy lives. And that's true of all the commands in Scripture. God meets our weakness with his power. And that's important that we assume you understand that. God does not save us and then leave us on our own to live out this life that we can't live out and then sort of judge us because he gave us an impossible task to do and we can't do it. In 2 Timothy, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, listen to what Paul says. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but what? Of power, of power and love and discipline. So God isn't, didn't give us a spirit of timidity where we're, oh, we're frightened, we cower. He's given us power so that we may live as he wants us to live. Another passage, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Think about that last phrase. According to the power that works within us. So he is the one who is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, and he does that through the power that works in us. Notice, God's power is at work in us. It's not stagnant. It's not stagnant. So the power of our omnipotent God is now at work within the hearts of every single one of his children. So if you are a child of God, his omnipotent power is at work in you. It's at work in you. So important that we understand this. And when you understand this and you truly believe this and you truly grasp it, then you will live with great, uh, great confidence. Because God's omnipotent power is a source of confidence, as well as, sh as it should be. Whenever you feel inadequate, whenever you feel like you can't do something, remember Paul's words. Philippians 4.13, I can do a few things. No, all things. Through him who strengthens us. That word for strengthen is the word for power. So you could say, I can do all things through him who empowers me, who gives me his power to do it. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And the strength of God's power, in His strength, through His strength, through His power, we can accomplish all that He calls us to do. And so that means we can live confidently every day, knowing that we are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to His power that works in us. And if this is true, and I believe it is, Scripture is very clear, then we have no reason to be timid. We have no reason to uh, fear. We have no reason to cower. We can face everything in our lives knowing that His power is really, truly working in and through us. That's why omnipotence is so important. And of course, 
gives us great hope because his resurrection power is our hope, is it not? Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, chapter verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 21 to 24. He said, To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard pressed on both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So Paul here is stating that he didn't know God's specific plan for his life, but he was confident in it. Whether it was life or death, he was confident. He preferred the joy of, hey, take me now, let me be in your presence, get away from this miserable world. He says, I would rather be in, the presence, in his presence in heaven. But he believed that God is going to let him live on because he knew the Philippians needed him. And so, since Jesus Christ was Paul's whole life, he said, dying is only gain. The very thing that this world is terrified of, Paul says what? It is gain. Is that not hope? Think about it. What is death to the believer? Death is just a door that opens up and says, come on into heaven. If that's the case, we should welcome death, not be afraid. But that only happens if deep in our hearts we trust and know and believe in the active, omnipotent power of God in our lives. That's what Paul had. His confidence in the Lord's ability to raise the dead helped him not to be intimidated by suffering. No, he faced suffering knowing that God is all-powerful and he's at work in me. He could devote himself fully to the Lord, not forsaking his spiritual duty because his fear was not in death. He welcomed death. In fact, I prefer it, Paul said, because then I'd be in his presence. Right? Absent from the body, he's present with the Lord. And so the hope of the resurrection should help us have priorities that are eternal, not temporal. Let's not make this world our priority. Let's have eternal priorities in our lives. Job said, Remember what Job was going through. But Job said in Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is flayed, yet without my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes shall see and not, uh, not another. Note, he was able to face that. Why? Because he knew that no matter what happened to him, if he should die, he would see God. He believed in that power. So knowing the all-powerful God helped him to face his struggle. Daniel himself, he knew of God's resurrection power. Because an angel said to him in chapter 12, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So the resurrection to everlasting life is the resurrection of the just. He knew that, and he found confidence in that. All true believers look forward to that time where we will have that life with Him. That should give us confidence and hope. And so the resurrection for us, when we are raised up, is because of His power, should give us incredible confidence, incredible hope. And so this, this resurrection power should fill our hearts with joy. 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that He who raised Lord, the Lord Jesus will raise us up also. That is hope. So, there are times in our lives we are tempted to doubt God's power. Second, we need to understand God's omnipotence for our everyday life. Third, 
The biggest problem, we need to understand this, and this is what we have to pray for. The biggest problem we have is not God's power, but the limits of our faith. It's the limits of our faith. There's never a situation you are in that is greater than the power of God. doesn't matter how dark it looks, it appears. There's no situation that is greater than the power of God. There's never a situation you are in when God's power for you is inactive. There's no such thing as inactive power of God. Okay, that's an impossibility. Our problem is the limits of our ability or willingness to rest in that power, to trust in that power, to accept that power, so that our, our lives are transformed. That's the weakness. One of the best examples of this, I believe, is the story of David and Goliath. Now, typically we look at this as the story of this big old powerful giant against this meek little boy. That's not true. That's peripheral. The real truth of this is this meek, weak giant against the all-powerful God. That's the truth of the story. That's how David played it. And so David would never have gone into the battle without faith in God's omnipotence. I mean, you figure this man, his head could almost touch that ceiling. Powerful. Trained. Greatest military warrior. And here's David. Probably smaller than me. But David did not back down because of his confidence in God. As a result, David experienced victory. Now, please understand something. Any soldier in the Israelite army could have done what David did, right? Any soldier in that army could have done it. What separated David is that he trusted in God's omnipotence. The others didn't. They believed in God, but they didn't trust in his power. David did, and that's why he accomplished what he accomplished. And that's how we are to approach life, trusting in God's omnipotence. We need to look at our jobs, our marriages, our families, and every aspect of our lives through the lens of the power of God. That's how David gained that incredible victory. So the story of David and Goliath is not about a weak young boy against a powerful man. It's a story about a weak man who thought he was great against the omnipotent God. As a result, who ended up with his head chopped off? Right? That's what David had. So when it comes to God's power, do we live like we believe that we, what we say we believe? Do we live like we believe that God is omnipotent, His omnipotent powers at work in us? That's how David lived, and that's how we need to live. And if we do live that way, we will find comfort in every situation, regardless of how dark it looks. So when you catch yourself worrying about something, realize that what it is you're worried about is not anything greater than the power of God. Jeremiah 32, God says, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? And the resounding answer, no, no. Nothing is too difficult for him because his power is infinite. So we have to remember God's power is the basis for a spiritual victory. If we don't, we will stumble. In fact, Paul tells us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So when the enemy comes, you're not supposed to fight him yourself and stand up and say, hey, I declare to you, like people say. No, 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 no. That's not what we do. We are to tell the commander. 
and the commander will take care of the battle. Right? He does it, not me. God can bring about spiritual victory because greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. So think about it. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He is omnipotent. That's what we have available to us. So Satan is a powerful enemy for us in and of ourselves, but he's no match for omnipotent power of God because as I said last week, even Satan's power comes from God, right? Even Satan's power comes from God. And so what should our response be to God's awesome and glorious power? Humility. We don't stand up and stick our chest out and say, I can do this. No, we look and say, God, and remember David said that. You come to me with, you know, your shield and your, I come to you in the name of Almighty God. He didn't say, I want to take you down. He said, no, I come to you in the name of God. God is taking you down. And he did. And that's how we must understand life. Yeah, I can't deal with the problems of my life. I'll only make it worse. I'll multiply it. But God is the one who takes care of these problems. I'm going to trust in his power to deal with these situations of life. As Peter said in 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. So, there are times in our lives that we are tempted to doubt the power of God. Second, we need to understand God's omnipotence for everyday life. Third, the biggest problem we have is not God's power, but with the limits of our faith. And fourth, and this is probably one of the biggest ones, you and I will not always be happy with the way God exercises his power. You and I will not always be happy with the way God exercises his power. See, too often, we want things in a certain way, and when it doesn't happen, we're unhappy. And the reason why that happens is because we think we know what's best. And so God, God will exercise His power, but it may not be exactly the way you want. And so there are times God, God's exercise of His power for our good does not look as good to us as we would like. In fact, there are times in His power God will lead us down hard pathways. But he does that out of love. He's not doing it because he's angry with you. He's not doing it because he's got his hand on his hip to say, Now you deserve this. That's not God. God will take us down those paths because he loves us and wants to grow us and help us to become more like Jesus Christ. And in our dissatisfaction with God, our memory becomes selective, doesn't it? It becomes very selective. Discontentment distorts our vision of God. When we're discontent, we complain. Why didn't God do this? Why did God have to do it this way? Why, why, why? As if we know it's best. And many times as a result, we reject that which should give us cause for uh, being grateful. You remember the Israelites? When they were in the wilderness, what did they complain about? They didn't have any food. So what did God do? He brought down manna for 40 years every day. Yet what did they do? They complained. He gave them food, and it was good food. And what did they do? They complained because they were discontent. God, in his power, did what they asked, but not the way they wanted. What did they want? We want meat! Mm. I want a nice pizza for dinner! Or whatever. And got this stupid coriander seed. And it sustained them for 40 years. They didn't even have to work for it. They didn't even have to buy it. They just get up in the morning and collect it and eat. Amazing. But, 
Yeah, clothes never wore. Yet what happened? Because it didn't go according to what they thought was good, they complained. And that's what happens to us. We could point a finger at them and say, what fools. But listen, how often do we do the same thing? Very important that we understand God works according to His power in His way because He knows what is best. We don't know what is best. We just don't. And so the reality here is that the drama of our lives is not about the power of God or His willingness to exert it for our resources. No, the spiritual drama is whether we will respond with gratitude or complaint when God moves. We experience His power every day. There's never a day that goes by you do not experience the power of God. The question is, is are we going to complain because we didn't get it our way? Or are we going to say thank you because your way is best? That's the struggle that we have. And so the sad fact, of course, is that all of us as God's people have not always been content with how God chose to exert his power. But God knows what's best, and God will, because it's His promise. Exercise His power on your behalf. I remember the minute that my first daughter was born. I was in that room. It was the most awesome thing that I ever experienced in my life. I remember calling my pastor at the time. I was living in Dallas. He said, isn't it great? It's instant love. And I said, yeah, it's great. And 24 hours later, we had her home, and it was evening one time. Here, this tiny little child sitting in her seat. My wife had to go, and it's just me and her. I just had tears coming down my eyes talking to her. And I said, sweetheart, I will do anything in my life, everything, to make sure you're well taken care of. I made that promise to her. I made the promise to my second daughter as well. And I did the best I could to carry out that promise. And I remember about a month and a half ago, we were just talking on the phone. I hate it. One's in Ohio, the other's in New York. And despise it because I don't get to see them. But... My daughter was talking to both my wife and I, and she was, she needed something. I said, well, I, I, you know, we can help you. She said, no, Dad, no. She says, I'm an adult now. I'm married. And she said, Dad, I have no doubt you'd give me your right lung and your heart if I asked for it. And I said, you're right, I would. Because I love her that much. I'm her dad. I'm her father. I would do anything. I would definitely lay down my life for either one of my children. They both know it, and I praise God for that. But please understand... If I, being evil and wicked and sinful, know how to give my children what is good, what about our Heavenly Father? And the frustration I had is that there are times where I, I, I'm very limited. There are things I couldn't do that I wanted to do. I couldn't do it. And it's frustrating. I would weep over it because I love my children that much. But what about our Heavenly Father who's perfect? whose love is beyond measure and is omnipotent. There are no limits. He will do the very best. If I wanted to do the very best for my kids, as rotten as I am in, a, in my heart, how much a perfect, loving father. And he does it every day, every moment. His power is at work in you and in me. Every moment of every day. He will exercise his power on our behalf to help us, to get us through the day, to become more like Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you to remind yourself every day of this fact, that God does love you. God does care for you. Psalm 103 verse 3 is a verse that you should meditate on constantly. Memorize it and meditate on it. 
Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Think about that. You love your children as much as you love your children, as much as you would lay your life down for your children. Please understand, that love compared to God's love for us is nothing. And so just as a father, just as a parent has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And the word compassion there in the Hebrew is racham. It's a word related to the Hebrew word for womb. The womb. It is the unique kind of compassion that a mother has for a child that she's carried in her body. There's that connection, that deep down compassion. And so it is the word that captures the love that motivates every act of parental provision, sympathy, protection. That's what that word describes. And so in this very verse, the psalmist is telling you and me, this is how your heavenly father loves you. And his power is an instrument of that love. It's omnipotent power. One pastor said, and I'll never forget this. He said, the fatherhood of God is where boundless love meets unlimited power. I love that. The fatherhood of God. The fatherhood of God is where boundless love meets unlimited power. Your, your heavenly father loves you. And he unleashes his power for your good. Time is up, but I want to read one passage in closing. And it's 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen to verses 7 through 10. I love these verses. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this, uh, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there has given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul speaking, of course. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Remember that statement? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Notice, I boast in my weaknesses because in my weaknesses the power of Christ dwells in me. Then he says, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, God's power comes in and says, Watch what I can do, and he does it. That's the omnipotence of God. That's why God's omnipotence is important to understand. It's critical for us to understand. And I pray with all my heart, and I have prayed, that God would help us to get a new vision of this deep in our hearts. That our lives would be transformed as a result. I know it's the end, but is there any questions? Maybe I confused somebody or something. I want to clarify because this is important. Any comments, any questions? Great. Terry, can I ask you to please pray for us? Remember that in our daily lives, help us to honor you in everything we do and say.